Hello and welcome to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And then you can see Xavier Trish. Uh, Xavier not arguing as much, I don't think, on uh, Twitter right now. There's not a lot to argue about. So at Xavier. Trying un- to keep it positive. <laughs> see, look <laughs> at that. Underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for him. And um, today we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, Mountain West Conference, of course. But we got some news to go over before we hit that. Uh, the very first thing starting here is Oklahoma running back Trey Sermon announced his intention to transfer to Ohio State. And that's a big move, Nick, because they lost Master Teague. And Trey Sermon has had a pretty decent track record, uh, except when he kind of got in the, the doghouse at Oklahoma last year, right? Yeah, and, and uh, that's my speculation that he got in the doghouse because uh, I think you and I talked uh, about it on a, a CFF show at some point uh, because I was really high on Trey Sermon and, and just impressed uh, watching him, the way he runs, very athletic, breaks a lot of tackles. Not, you know, doesn't have uh, excellent, excellent speed, but uh, did a couple of things that that made me, you know, really take note. We're, we're really impressed with uh, runs at certain times, but uh, his production went way, way down. He had been really, really good uh, as a true freshman, 700 plus yards, uh, and then as a sophomore. Uh, came very close to a thousand yards, had 13 touchdowns, and, and looked like he was in line to share, if not, you know, be the the primary ball carrier for Oklahoma in 2019. But Kennedy Brooks either sort of uh, passed him on the depth chart, made it so that he just, you know, needed to get the lion's share of the carries. And of course, they had Jalen Hurts that that ate into a lot of carries as well. But uh, it was either. Trey Sermon just sort of fell back in the pecking order, or it seemed like maybe he just sort of fell out of favor with Lincoln Riley. And I haven't seen any news on that. I don't think uh, anything has has been said officially about that. But, uh, you know, he he did have the injury, had a knee injury, uh, and and then decided to transfer. But basically, I think for Ohio State, it's best-case scenario because he's a guy that that proved he can be a productive running back. Uh, I think he's capable of being the primary ball carrier if he does come back healthy. I uh, saw something. I, I thought he had torn his ACL, but apparently he tore uh, another ligament that was less uh, serious, sort of easier to bounce back from. So uh, indication is he'll be fully healthy if and when the college football season is ready uh, to start in, in 2020. And, and, yeah, I think as far as, you know, they lost – uh, Master T to an Achilles injury early in, in uh, spring practice when they were able to get a few practices in. And, and it sounds, you know, don't know for sure, but it sounds pretty serious. And, and to get Trey Sermon, arguably uh, the top option probably that will be available in the transfer portal this year uh, is about as good as it gets if you're, if you're looking to fill that hole. And Xavier, what do you think about this move, Trey Sermon going to Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, it's a big-time move. You're getting a guy who not only is, has been productive, but has also been productive on the big stage, and I think that matters most. Um, you know, you're getting a guy who you can essentially just plug right in, 
to an offense that, that was going to have a huge hole. I mean, obviously you guys talked about Master Teague and you're just, and you're trying to replace a guy in JK Dobbins who did what he did last year. This is going to be, you know, not an exact replacement. Obviously we talked about him not having the same top end speed that a Dobbins has, but it's a guy who can definitely come in and be productive at the very least. And, and it, you know, in, in a position that they were going to definitely be looking at, I think it gives them a little bit more calmness going into this uh, very kind of sketchy time because right now, you really don't know who's going, you know, when you're going to be able to come together and practice again and to get a guy who is who has, you know, kind of the uh, the pedigree, at least he's coming with right now is definitely a huge pickup because you're not you don't feel like you have to teach him too much at the running back position because he's already been at such a high level. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's even a little bit under understated uh, how important that running back is. That's going to be next to Justin Fields in that Ohio State right. offense, you know. Uh, if you're going to run a successful RPO, you have to have a good running back. It worked so well last year because Dobbins was there, and you could see Dobbins ripping off, you know, 60, 70 yard runs. Uh, you know, it seemed like once a week. It probably wasn't quite that, but uh, it was often. He was very, right. very good. So, mm-hmm. um, and it was. Uh, uh, I mean, just it's so important to get that guy. So uh, Ohio State getting a guy like Trey Sermon, and it just it feels like a right move too because you fall out of favor with the coaching staff. It's really hard to get back in. So uh, I I love this move for Ohio State, and, and I think it's uh, a really really good move for them. A couple other uh, things that happened here, obviously not a ton going on, uh, but. Um, FSU running back and AM transfer Deshaun Corbin was granted eligibility, uh, an eligibility waiver, and he's going to play for the Seminoles this year. He did have the hamstring injury that, uh, you know, ended his season after only two games last year, but expected to make a big impact uh, at FSU. Uh, Louisville added UConn transfer Cam DeGeorge, started 34 games for the Huskies. He's likely to win a starting role as a grad transfer uh, there for them. Boston College got, uh, ooh, I'm going to try this here, uh, Chibezi Onwuka, uh, who started 19 games for the Bulls, likely to play often in 2020 at defensive tackle. Uh, we had some terrible news. Um, we don't really know what it is yet, but Bryce Beekman, uh, the uh, starting safety and one of the team captains at Washington State, passed away. Uh, they said that, uh, po- police responded to a call of him having breathing troubles. So obviously, in this climate, that doesn't sound. You know, it sounds like we know what it was, but who? You know, we can't make any guesses. So uh, n- no official word on what caused that right now. But uh, horrible news for Washington State. So Nick, uh, any of those topics you want to cover? Yeah, I mean, just I guess real quick on on each of them. I mean. Getting Corbin is is big for Florida State. He's going to be able to come in and uh, solidify uh, depth at that position. They, Florida State behind Cam Makers last year, uh, there was a big drop off, and, and uh, they do have LeBourne, who is you know probably going to be the primary ball carrier. But to be able to to split uh, split duties between he and Corbin, uh, I think is is definitely big for them. Uh, help. Some of those, uh, you know, incoming guys, they've got a a pretty highly uh, rated true freshman coming in, but you'd like to not have to press him uh, into, uh, you know, too much work too early. And and Corbin was pretty good when he was 
healthy and, and on the field. So I think that's certainly a, a good move for Florida State. Uh, for Georgia at Louisville, I mean, he's he's somebody, of course, uh, that flew under the radar playing at a, a G5 team and, and at UConn that struggled so much. But he's very experienced, and, and I've heard uh, good things. I honestly have not uh, paid very much attention to him specifically, but uh, have heard good things in, in the past, and he was um, uh, believed to be a pretty highly uh, regarded player in the transfer portal and, and somebody that can come in and help solidify the offensive line at, at Louisville, which did return uh, a fair amount of, of the starting lineup from last year, three uh, guys in the, in the interior of that offensive line uh, were full-time starters last year, but they do have to replace both starting tackles, including Mekhi Becton, who's uh, potentially, you know, going to be one of the uh, first round pick. Uh, I've, I've heard potentially maybe the, the first offensive lineman selected in this year's draft. So uh, that's certainly something to, to be able to, to, add to that group uh, i think to george will have an opportunity to, to play a lot early um buffalo's produced some pretty interesting grad transfers in, in recent years for whatever reason uh guys go and, and have success at buffalo and then decide to leave for a little bit uh bigger stage and boston college obviously the coaching transition there and and uh jeff halfley being the the new head coach former ohio state defensive coordinator looking to boost uh the defensive line a little bit they were lacking some experience there especially in the middle of that defensive line and and so getting somebody like uh anuqua i probably screwed that up but uh uh, somebody like right. that. Is, I think you, I, it's, I, I it's give yourself close. a little credit. I think you got that. <laughs> it's, it's close. Uh, I penciled him in uh, into our team profiles as a starter. I mean, it's the highest rated interior defensive lineman, uh, according to our individual player rating numbers, actually the highest rated defensive lineman uh, for Boston College at this point. So uh, a guy that comes in with, with some good starting experience, put up uh, seven total production points over his uh, last couple of years at Buffalo. So somebody that, that can come in and, and you know, uh, be a, a player, an impact player uh, immediately. So I think that's great. Uh, and then on the other end, I mean, you, you always hate to see um, a, a player uh, – pass away for, for whatever reason. And, and we certainly don't want to speculate. Um, but uh, Beekman, it sounds like everybody on the team loved him. I, I saw a lot of outpouring from teammates uh, once the news was sort of breaking late last night. And, and this morning as things have gotten a little more clear. Uh, and as head coach Nick Rolovich uh, had a, uh, you know, tweeted about how he didn't have a chance to, to coach him in a game, but had been so impressed by uh, Beekman in the in the uh, limited interactions they had had so far since he had become a head coach, and he was a guy that came in as a JUCO uh, a transfer. I believe he's from Baton Rouge and started immediately, made a big impact on the field, and it sounds like he impacted a lot of uh, you know coaches and teammates off the field as well. So uh, certainly a sad situation, and and uh, we'll be we'll be thinking about him. Uh, and uh, Xavier, same same thing. Any any of those subjects you want to cover? Yeah, I think that uh, the UConn transfer going to Louisville is huge for the Cardinals. Obviously, yes, uh, Nick hit on the head with uh, Becton leaving, uh, but also this is a team that had already you know eight returning starters on offense, and you add in a guy with this much production and this much experience only adds to the ability. Uh, 
to the talent that's already on that offense is going to make them a really formidable team next year. You know, the offensive line was the only part of the uh, team when you look at their their ratings across the board that was sub 80. Now adding him, I don't know if it takes them all the way over the bridge, but it definitely makes them it gets them closer to that, you know, a, a full team of 80 rated players, if you per se. Uh, I think it's a really nice get for them. Also, it's a really good move for him. Um, we talked about UConn. Um, I believe not no longer being a is an FBS team or they uh, they moved to independent. They're they moved they're to independent, independent. FBS independent. Yeah, right. So you know it's a big move for him going into a better conference. Obviously, going to the ACC allows him to get um, the the exposure that he's going to need. Obviously, to make a, uh, a push for the draft possibly, and also you know somber news with Beekman. I can only imagine how that locker room feels right now this especially for guys who were there with Tyler Kalinsky who also passed away two years ago now this is two deaths in two years I can only imagine how that how that locker room feels at the moment you know just you know all prayers and thoughts with them in that locker room and that team as they're going having to go through this again so um you know just thoughts and prayers with them yeah I yeah I forgot about that part of Washington State just having a you know a, a rough run recently man that that is real bad yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of that coaching staff coming over from Hawaii, they lost a player last year as well. So, jeez, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that that's brutal. If, if things aren't bad enough in our current uh, state of the country, and then uh, th this stuff happens as well. So, like like Nick said, we don't want to speculate, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter uh, ha how it happened. It, it's it's awful. So um, tough to transition out of that, but we're gonna try here and. Uh, look, a lot of people right now are looking for anything to bet on. I mean, have you guys seen the marble races recently <laughs> on, on television? Like, uh, I got invested with that blue that blue marble. I was like, that that guy's got to win. And then the gold one overtook him, or whatever it was, tan. I don't know. Uh, but people are bored right now, and they're looking for stuff to do. And Nick, I mean, in particular, Vegas is losing money hand over fist because there's no action to bet on, right? Yeah, and, and we talked a little last week about uh, some of the early point spreads that uh, popped up here in New Hampshire uh, at uh, DraftKings, and then I uh, saw some others as well, I, you know, some online uh, shops. Bavada, I think, uh, since we last spoke, uh, put some uh, put some numbers up, and others are popping up here and there, and I think, uh, though the the... Physical locations in Nevada, I believe, are, are closed, but uh, a lot of options for folks there on, you know, on uh, apps and electronic, uh, what have you. And, and yeah, I think with, you know, basketball uh, not not uh, in action at the moment and, and baseball, of course, was supposed to get started tomorrow. Right. And, and, yeah. Uh, so they're certainly going to be losing uh, that potential revenue that action and, and so my theory and i'm no expert but my theory is that uh they released those point uh you know those those game of the year a lot of people call them uh point spreads early uh earlier than they would have if if those uh other sports had been available and i haven't seen and, and it's it's possible i missed them i, I did a search but uh as of earlier today no uh, book out there that that I was aware of had posted win totals, but uh, what what we have done, CFB Winning Edge, uh, been going through and, and trying to fine tune our new schedule feature in the FBS team profiles, and have, have fully updated all of our uh, game by game projections uh, for a projected point spread, and then of course uh, the new 
talent edges where we can match up an offense versus a defense uh, and then the overall talent edge for each uh, each matchup. But uh, one thing that that does when we're able to, to build those projected point spreads, you can convert those to a projected win percentage. And then if you add up all those projected win percentages, uh, so if a team is expected to to you know, if it's a coin flip, pure coin flip, 50-50 chance of winning, that would count as half a win for a season win total. And you add all those up. So if a team has, you know, 67% and then 3% and 96%, add it all up and, and you get, uh, you know, somewhere in the, in the range of what we could expect that team to win uh, on average throughout the, the course of a season. So, um was able to, to run all those numbers for all of our Power 5 teams. And then what I've done here for us uh, and released it to the patrons as well, compiled a list of all those Power 5 teams and their projected win totals. For us here, I've, I've rounded up or down to the closest half win for some of these that we would talk about uh, in the team profiles and, and what I released to uh, patrons earlier today. They're, you know, 6.22 wins instead of six wins, that sort of thing. But uh, I figured we could just you know take a look at some of these and see what jumps out. Some immediately jump out to me as being too high or too low and thought we could maybe discuss uh, reasons why that might be or, or why we might be a little higher or lower on a team than uh, some might expect. Well, let's let, let's let Xavier take a look at these SEC win totals first so uh we've got bama i mean do you want me to run through them here nick uh well i mean xavier is, is there anything that just jumps out first um, out of, out of the sec that, yeah absolutely lsu um being at nine wins i think is entirely too high i think this is a team that's going to show, show a lot of regression especially offensively with so much talent being lost um, and defensively, we can't we can't forget that this was a defense that going into the year, we all thought Grant Delpit was going to be one of the best, if not the best player in college football. Christian Fulton is a first-round draft pick. Uh, Chasen is a first-round draft pick. Um, and I think that nine wins for me is a little bit too high for a team that is playing in a division that I think is going to be better than what they were last year. I think Auburn's going to be better than they were last year. I think A&M is going to be better than they were last year. And obviously there's Bama still at the top as well. And I think that with that being the case, I think LSU is more along the line of seven and a half, eight wins than a solid nine wins, which is what they, which is what it's currently at. Um, other than that, I don't see any SEC teams that I would just like lose my mind over. I think Mississippi State at seven and a half wins is kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, when you look at their schedule, their schedule starts off very easy with four, with four games that they absolutely should win. And when you look at that, and you look at the fact that they don't play any of the top teams from the SEC East this year. The only team that they the, 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 they get Kentucky, they don't get Florida, they don't get Georgia, they don't get Tennessee. I think that you can see that they have an opportunity to win seven to seven and a half games with playing teams like Missouri and uh, South Carolina. So I really think that they have an opportunity to do so, especially in Mike Leach's first year. Um, so I can see that happening. But other than that, no. Looking at LSU's schedule, just real quick, uh, they've got, uh, you know, they, they play Florida on the road on October 10th. That one is, I mean, I don't, I feel like they should beat Florida, but it's not a gimme playing in the swamp, correct? Right. Yeah, and, and last I saw, uh, so our, our projection is actually, we have Florida favored by a little less than a point. Uh, I haven't looked at the, it, it was one of those game of the year 
games that that was released and earlier this week the line had actually moved it opened the first time i saw it i don't know if it was the true open but uh florida was favored by one it had moved to florida by two and a half so a lot of uh, I guess the early folks that that were looking for action on that Xavier um, put all of his money in there. <laughs> right exactly yeah. uh, had uh, you know were of, were of a similar mind so uh, that you know I I feel pretty good about that I, I think that Florida being favored makes sense I'm I'm pretty high on Florida uh, think that they have a good chance to to you know potentially win ten games and and maybe even. Uh, compete there with Georgia for the uh, SEC East, but LSU. It, it, I'm glad you brought up LSU because um, they lost so much, and I think that, of course, will be a major uh, talking point all year. Is you know, of course, Heisman Trophy winner Joe Brady. The the, the defense was just completely decimated by early NFL. Uh, entries. The offensive line is is going to have to uh, undergo some major, you know, renovations. But I, I think we we forget how talented and, and deep LSU really was last year. Even though they lost so much, and and they're you know what 125th or something in returning production, maybe even maybe even lower. Uh, but according to our roster strength ratings, they're 11th in the country. Uh, so the the you know. Everything combined. Still talent. It's more experience. Absolutely. And and you're right. Uh, but, you know, they, they do get a little bit of a boost in our early projections just because of how good they were. I mean, their offense was, uh, I think, the best team perform- offensive team performance rating uh, we've ever had. And, and so that's, you know, you don't necessarily expect – that sort of uh, production to continue. Uh, so perhaps, you know, including that number in our uh, projections, and we do weight it a little bit, add some of the uh, performance from the previous two years into that, but still that as an outlier performance is going to boost things a bit. But, uh, you know, this is a team that uh, just from a, from a uh, top to bottom roster standpoint could beat anybody in the country regardless right. of, of you know the game, their their offensive starters uh, is from uh, average two four seven sports ratings are the fourth highest in the country, third in the SEC. So you know there there are going to be some opponents that are similarly rated, but still the fourth most talented as far as pure you know raw talent starting offense in the country, sixth on defense, and for a full roster you know as far as raw talent, so not not accounting for experience or production the fourth most talented roster from top to bottom in the country. And, and so, you know, like I said before, as far as roster strength, where we do adjust for experience and production, it falls to 11th, but that's still fourth best in the SEC. And, and we do have them favored in, uh, in let, me, let me check, I lost it, uh, at least nine, no, 10 games. We have them as a, a slight underdog, less than a point to Florida, and we have them uh, about a touchdown underdog, uh, at home against Alabama, but they do play a couple of toss-ups, less than a two-point favorite at Auburn, and then about a field goal uh, favorite at Texas A&M. So, uh, What's that be, line on the tough. Texas game, Nick? Uh, <laughs> we've got LSU at this point, and, and uh, this is a line that makes me a little bit nervous because looking down at the, the talent edges, Texas is, is pretty much a, a spitting image 
Uh, Texas has a slight talent edge of, of about a quarter of a point, but uh, we've got LSU favored right now by 10. So 10. That, wow. that makes me a little nervous, and that's higher than the, the early uh, projections. We were low. We were too low on LSU last year. I feel, fear we might be a little too high, but I, I, I would not bet the over nine, but I, I don't think I would bet the under either. So Xavier, I, I think, how offended should I be by that point? <laughs> you should be very offended, especially for what I'm about to say in just a second. Or, or, or okay, two, two gaps because we get to the Big 12 in just a second. But yeah, you should be completely appalled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually not appalled by what happened last year, but I think, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you because, you know, you look at the schedule and LSU should beat most teams, but they play in the SEC with some of the better, uh, you know, some of the better teams in the country. Like we mentioned Florida, we mentioned Alabama, we mentioned Auburn. They're on the road against A&M who could be solid as well. Mm-hmm. And they, they play the Longhorns. It is at home. But that's five rough games in a twelve-game schedule, you know. So and that they're going to be very inexperienced. Texas will be very experienced. So right. and that's uh, early in the season be. too. It's before they're all yeah. gelling. So yeah, that's, that's a second game of the season. It's a great point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, are we done with the SEC, or did anything else stand out to you in the SEC, Nick? Uh, I, I I think it's okay. I, I was a slightly surprised, maybe that Vanderbilt was at two and a half. Uh, but they, they play a, a, a very strange schedule for, they just, they, they scheduled, uh, a couple of, you know, they, they have a, uh, can we get to three wins? I think when we're looking at them, because they open up against Mercer, that's a win, right? That's a win. They're, they're, they're a 15 point favorite according to our numbers, numbers but they, Kansas state. I mean, that's, you know, that's not on the, the road talented. too. Yeah, exactly. Why would you schedule Kansas state? This is a team that lost to UNLV last year. They play Colorado state this year, who uh, I think Colorado state is, is going to uh, have the, the opportunity to bounce back. We'll talk about them later in the show, but uh, that's a game. We actually have Colorado state favored to win. We only give Vanderbilt a 46% chance to win. And then they play Louisiana tech who's one of the tougher uh, G5 programs in the country. They've got to rebuild, right. uh, uh, you know, at, at, at a lot of spots, but uh, we actually have Louisiana Tech is, is about a one and a half point favorite. So it's a strange schedule. They, they're going to have to win toss up games against G5 teams. And then I don't really see them pulling an upset in the SEC. I they mean, they beat the Missouri last games. year. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, we don't have them. We don't give them a 20, uh, 20% chance in any SEC game. And, and so, you know, you add all those up and they get close to they would average one win. But I don't know that I trust them to uh, sweep their non-conference schedule either. So I, I think that it might be tempting to say Vanderbilt, like, yeah, they should take care of business in the non-conference and then upset somebody and, and get to, uh, you know, should have an opportunity for three, maybe even four wins. But I just don't know if I trust it. Uh, especially they're restarting at the uh, quarterback position, really lost all their offensive playmakers. So uh, that one, that one just wasn't intriguing for me. I, you know, we probably shouldn't spend too much time on Vanderbilt, but, uh, <laughs> but that one, I, I was a little surprised that they were that low. Now to m- moving to the pack 12, uh, the things that stand out to me to, to start this one, Nick and Xavier jump in with any other teams, but Utah being at nine and a half, 
and we talked up USC, and I know you said, uh, you know, you you use the the describer nervous a lot, and USC at eight with the way we talked them up uh, seems a little low, and Utah seems a little high, right? Yeah, and and so. I, I was nervous about USC. I'm a little less nervous. I, I'm not going to have to be as much of a USC fan this year as I expected <laughs> because they do play a really difficult schedule. We, I, I knew they had Alabama on the schedule. Uh, and then I you know, had heard just mentioned briefly in, in way too early conversations that they had to go to Utah on a Friday night, which is a very tricky place to play and a tricky time to play it. Uh, but then, you know, my my initial thought was Utah returns the least amount of production in the country. So, you know, no big deal. They, they probably should be able to take care of, uh, of business there. But they also play at Oregon and they host Washington. So those are, are probably going to be the two best teams in the north and the tricky game against Utah and, and probably a, a sure loss against Alabama, uh, they do, of course, play Notre Dame. They're uh, going to be an underdog at home against Notre Dame, according to our, our early numbers. So USC's schedule is really quite tough. Utah really doesn't have a very tough schedule. Uh, they play in, in the non-conference, BYU, Montana State, and Wyoming. BYU and Wyoming are always difficult, but I would think we would expect Utah to win those games. Uh, the conference schedule is a little bit lighter they do play washington but they also get it at home they get usc at home and they do not play oregon so they do draw an away game against arizona state and a lot of people are are fairly high on arizona state but utah uh, similar to what we talked about with lsu they score pretty highly from a team performance rating standpoint. And that's not a huge factor in our numbers, but it is a factor. So they get a little bit of boost there. And they also get a boost at the head coaching ratings uh, spot. Kyle Whittingham has done a really, really great job of getting Utah, which has always been at best the middle of the pack as far as talent goes in the Pac-12, usually toward the bottom end. He's done a great job over the years of elevating that you know, getting them to play higher than their talent level. So that uh, past history, our numbers look at that and think, okay, well, there's a good chance that he can do that again. Uh, There's, of course, questions at the quarterback position, but they brought in Jake Bentley, who, uh, you know, is very, very experienced, was a fairly highly recruited player. So he's uh, an 88-rated player, which is pretty good for a quarterback, better than you would expect somebody to be stepping in for, you know, a longtime starter. Uh, They are pretty experienced at receiver, which is important. They do return four starters on the offensive line. That, of course, was the weak link for that team last year. Uh, And the defense is going to be very, very inexperienced. But our numbers – they they give Utah the benefit of the doubt in a lot of situations because of the coaching ratings and and because of the strength of schedule or, or lack thereof. And so I'm nervous about this, and, and I would not bet over nine and a half uh, because I just don't, you know, it doesn't make I don't want to say it doesn't make sense because these are numbers that I you know put put work into, <laughs> but but you know it 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 is. Which is surprising. Yeah, and unexpected. I think that's a bit. And it's unexpected. We have 
Utah favored in every game. And that that's unexpected, right? So yeah. we actually have them uh, expected to beat USC by less than half a point. So that is a, a total coin flip, could go either way. Uh, but, you know, we have we give Utah the slightest of edges. And the other close games are, are Washington, which, again, at home, we have Utah favored uh, by about five, which seems maybe a little high, but, you know, I, I, could, I could certainly see it happening. Washington is not uh, experienced by any means. And then the rest of the schedule sets up really pretty nicely. I mean, they're about a touchdown favorite at Arizona State. That probably seems a little high, but, but you know, they should be favored over Cal. They should be favored over Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona, Colorado. It, it's a very manageable schedule. So when I dive into it, I feel a little bit better, but just that, that immediate nine and a half, it does seem too high. It seems entirely too high. It was the one that jumped out to me, you know, first and foremost as I was going through these. But I, I'm starting to talk myself into it a little bit uh or at least talk myself into maybe people are sleeping a little on utah too much i know they lost a ton but they're going to compete in the pac-12 self uh xavier do you think oregon at nine and a half might be a touch high i i think it will um but i just feel like they're talent too much too talented not to win at least nine games um, Here, here's uh, a couple of the, the tough spots that, that I have with them. They play Ohio State week two. That's a loss, right? Right. Okay, so right. that uh, that puts us down to 11. And then it's, um, you know, they. you're probably right. They host Washington, but that's at home, so I like them in that one. Right. They get USC at home. That's a nice right. one. Arizona State, who got them last year, they get at home, so they at should home. get that one. Uh, and then... Washington State on the road, and then obviously the Civil War or whatever we're supposed to call it because we can't say war anymore. Uh, at, the civil uh, disobedience. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, at Oregon State, but uh, yeah, so that one for when I first looked at it, I was like, ooh, nine and a half after losing Justin Herbert. But when you peel back the schedule, uh, I I think I think nine and a half is okay. Uh, were there any other Pac-12 yeah. ones that stand out to you? Uh, just Utah. I, I think Nick is talking to himself into it too much. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's other teams in the conference that I think are going to rise to the challenge. I don't have them favored in games. Like, I think against Arizona State late in the year is going to be a trap game for them. I think they're going to lose that one. Um, I do think that they're not going to be able to beat a USC team that was better than them, uh, that was uh, better than them, that beat them last year and wasn't better than them. And I think is now better than them and is going to beat them regardless of whether they're at home or not. Uh, Washington is a tricky game for me that when I look at that game, I look at a Washington team that is really young, uh, but is it a team that you're overlooking because they are so young and they come in there, but they're amazingly talented and could win that game. And even, and, and here, and here's one that, you know, and we'll talk about them later on in the episode, but I think is it going to be a tough game. I think Wyoming on the road is not easy to go to. I think Wyoming is a team that, you know, they, they definitely can compete with a team like Utah. You know, when I look at Wyoming, I look at a team that is at home is much different than they are than they were away last year. Uh, we all know about their early win last year against Missouri. I think that that's going to be a trap game for them. I think they could easily go into Wyoming, overlook them, and lose that ball game. Um, I think uh, for them, how many nine wins was, it, was just too high for me. It's just something I wouldn't put my money on. So I wouldn't go over. Uh, so I would be forced to go under. So I think eight wins. Eight, I would feel more comfortable if they were at eight wins. 
Gotcha. That's, that's gotcha. understandable. I, uh, the Pac-12 is probably the, the one that gave me the most pause when I was going right. through uh, for the conferences. So uh, there are there are folks out there that are pretty high on Cal. Our numbers don't don't love Cal. And I know, you know, a lot of people will point to how much better they were when quarterback Chase Garbers was in the lineup. He, he was six and or seven and oh in games that he both started and finished, but he was hurt a lot and, and they were a different team when he was on the sideline. And you you expect, okay, a healthy Chase Garbers, they've got, you know, a new offensive coordinator coming in. Hopefully he'll be able to to sort of jumpstart that unit. And they do have a ton of starters coming back on offense. Uh, and, and they actually ended up uh, with a couple of more starters returning on defense than, than uh, I realized when we were going over the Pac-12 uh, earlier this uh, this offseason. A couple of uh, defensive linemen that I had uh, graduating, I, I read later that they're actually going to be able to, to come back next year. They were listed as starters, but it must have been, uh, you know, uh, for academic year and not not eligibility, so uh, they they are not as inexperienced on defense as I expected. Though they do have some key pieces missing, especially at uh, linebacker and in the secondary. But just from an overall talent standpoint, Cal is not. You know, they just don't they just don't match up very well with uh, a lot of the teams on their schedule, and then they have to play some tricky games away. Like, they, they have comparable talent, maybe even a slight talent edge against Washington State, but they've got to go to Pullman. Uh, they they uh, do have to travel to Oregon State, who Oregon State is not high on our list, but they're a tricky team, and, and we saw last year they could be dangerous. And, and you know, Stanford, uh, Cal was able to beat Stanford last year, but I think – you know, Stanford has an opportunity uh, to bounce back potentially this year. So that's they're just a lot of toss-up games, and they don't really have very much as far as a, a talent edge. So I'm I'm a little worried we're low on Cal at five and a half, but uh, I I also kind of you know rely on those talent numbers as well. But that that was one that stuck out. Uh, for me, I'm always, I think, going to be nervous about Stanford, uh, and just whatever their number is. Um, but yeah, the, the Pac-12, uh, it, it's a little tricky. And, and so our early numbers, a couple of them, uh, and, and more so in that conference than many of the others, made me think like, "Ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about those." So uh, these are not final; they're not a, our official ones, but there are our early ones, and give us sort of a a ballpark of where we're probably going to be uh, later in the summer when things are, are more written in stone. But the Pac-12 maybe has a couple of uh, maybe more uh, questionable ones, I think, than some of the other leagues. Now, going over the Big 12 here, um, I don't know that I really disagree w- with most of I this. I do. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, I, I won't say what most of them. Okay. Well, well let's do. let's hear. Well, what are the what are the egregious ones here, Xavier? Oh, you're gonna like this. I think Texas is too low. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Texas is too low at eight and a half. Um, this team won eight games last year, even with head-scratching losses to TCU and Iowa State. Um, and, with, and honestly, they were a little blindsided by an amazing LSU team that I don't think anybody expected to be last year. So that's three wins right there. Um, they have the best quarterback in the conference in Seb Ellinger. I think he will bounce back this year uh, when they, with them bringing back more talent offensively um, than they had last year. I think when you look at the defense, they're a year older, and a lot of the things that they did wrong last year are things that you can fix with time and with coaching. 
um, tackling. Obviously, is something that they can fix yep. in you know the off season right now, and they bring back seven guys on that same defense, which was not that talent wise. They just didn't have it between the years. And I think this year they'll have it between the years. Um, it's getting think- through that tough run because when you look at the yeah. schedule, week two is on the road against LSU, and then right. they they come home against UTEP, which is you know a win regardless of where you are, and then at Kansas State. And then the Red River shootout. So uh, that's a brutal, uh, you know, four game stretch in, uh, you know, three teams really in four weeks. So uh, and actually they get a bye week going into Kansas State. So that that should help out a little bit. So. So Texas is is one that intrigues me. And and if I were to uh, were forced to choose, you know, over or under on Texas, I would probably lean toward the over. Uh, and part of the reason is Texas actually has a, a talent edge in every game. They're, uh, like I mentioned before, about a quarter of a point uh, more more talented than LSU, quote-unquote. They actually have a slight talent edge against Oklahoma by about two points. Uh, everybody else is, is double digits, uh, at least. I mean, they are a very, very talented team. But they're also a team that... I'm not 100% sure I can trust them to win every game they're supposed to win. So we do have them as about a 10-point favorite or underdog against LSU, which probably a little too high. I, I get it. Uh, and we have them about a five-point underdog against Oklahoma. That that seems about right. And, and last year, uh, we were we were much higher on Oklahoma than than Texas. It was I think by the time it kicked off, we were about a two touchdown, if not more, uh, on Oklahoma. And of course, Texas played. Oklahoma uh, close, they, and they often do. But uh, we have them. We have Texas is about a one point favorite on the road at Oklahoma State at the end of the year. So they are favored in all but those two games against LSU and Oklahoma, and then a, a pretty much a pure toss up game against Oklahoma State. If they were to lose all three of those, they still would cover. You know, would get past the eight and a half wins. But I, I don't know if I can trust them to to beat everybody else they're supposed to beat. Can I trust Texas and, and Tom Herman to beat Iowa State and TCU and Baylor? I mean, they, you know, they, they always, it seems, somebody sneaks up and, and gets them uh, at, at the worst possible time. Hopefully that won't happen to them this year, but I, I could see scenarios where where maybe it does. And, and you know, maybe... That. I mean, I want to sit here and, and say, no, 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 but I mean... It happens every single year. It does. So they drop some games <laughs> and they could, that they don't. They should not be losing. Sure, and, and they could jump up and beat LSU. They could beat Oklahoma, and then you know, then you're fine. Uh, Vegas is probably going to have uh, at least nine, if not nine and a half, on on Texas. So we are we're probably low. Uh, but you know, they, it, part of that is is baked in because our numbers do like Tom Herman, but uh, they don't. You know they 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 grade Tom Herman as a as a head coach is lower than Texas's talent level if that makes sense. So Tom Herman actually brings them down just a little bit because even though he is you know a top fifteen head coach according to our numbers uh, and people could agree or disagree with that, but the fact that his rating is a little bit lower than their raw talent ratings. It, it it bumps them down just a little bit, and then the schedule's not the the easiest. I mean, going to Oklahoma State that's going to be tough. Oklahoma State's is legitimately uh, a, a Big Twelve 
contender this year. And they're, they're not a team that has excellent talent ratings. I think they're probably going to be uh, similar to what Utah was last year, where it seemed like everything was kind of, you know, geared up and, and everything sort of came together all at once and, and, what could potentially be a perfect storm, make a run to a conference championship, maybe a playoff uh, berth. Oklahoma State is is that kind of team. It's like a 2019 Utah, in my opinion. They, they sort of give me that that feel. So uh, there are some tricky spots for Texas. They, they certainly could beat anybody on their schedule, but they could mess up and lose a game or two they're not supposed to. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I think for the most part, I don't have much issue with, with anything else in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma with 10 wins may be surprising knowing that they replaced Jalen Hurts with a completely inexperienced quarterback like Spencer Rattler, but the schedule's kind of easy. You know, Texas is the tough game here on the schedule. And then after that, uh, at TCU, I mean, uh, going on the road against West Virginia is never fun. And they're at Army early, but I ain't going to lose any of those games. So um, <laughs> it seems like. Um, Seems like they're they're in pretty good uh, standing here. Anyone else, uh, Xavier, for you, uh, stand out in the Big 12? Uh, No. I think everything else fits perfectly. All right, let's go over to the Big 10. And the Big 10 is definitely interesting because, once again, I don't know that I have much to argue with here. Ohio State, 10.5, Penn State at 10, Wisconsin at 9, and everyone else kind of sprinkled where you would normally um, suggest them. I will say that... I know in the Big Ten somewhere, Nick, we're going to get some big fluctuations, right? Like Nebraska could definitely be better than six and a half wins. Uh, Minnesota could be better than seven and a half wins as they were this year. Iowa is always, uh, you know, a, a pretty damn good team. So, uh, but I don't have any arguments and nothing re- here really surprises me, right, Nick? Yeah, n- Nebraska is perhaps the most interesting to me. And uh, I did a, a roundtable discussion for uh, athlonsports.com. They asked if Nebraska was going to win or was going to make it to a bowl game uh, this year. And, and before I sat down to write, I my immediate thought was absolutely. Nebraska should have gone to a bowl game last year. And this year, you know, the, the offense has the potential to be one of the best in the Big Ten. And, and I think that they've, you know, done some good things on – uh, you know, as far as talent accumulation on the defensive side of the football. And, and so uh, it, it just seemed to me, my, my gut instinct was yes, absolutely. But then when I started digging into the numbers, uh, they have just sort of a really tricky schedule. First of all, they have to play both Ohio State and Penn State uh, in the crossover games. And those are difficult. We've talked about Ohio State is the clear front runner and that I believe, and the numbers believe, Penn State is, uh, the if anybody's capable of catching Ohio State, it seems this year Penn State is the most Good likely. Lord. This schedule, Nick, is brutal. <laughs> like The yeah, second they, half. Yeah, yeah, they play uh, the first half, Purdue, Central Michigan, San Diego State, Cincinnati, uh, Northwestern on the road, Illinois at Rutgers. After that, on the What's that? So they're favored in those seven. So if they take care of business... Then yeah, they'll they'll cover the that's six a bowl and a half, right? But there are some sort of toss up games. Cincinnati, they're only a three and a half point favorite according to our numbers. Northwestern, they're only a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, so they, you know, those could go either way. Yeah, and this last stretch at Ohio State, Penn State on the road, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and there's no bye week in between any of those. 
and then they finish off at home against Minnesota. That is a brutal schedule for the Huskers down there. So they really got to win those early games. Um, is there anyone else that you seem that, that you look and, and you, you think maybe this uh, team is a little tricky or maybe the numbers are misleading at all? So I think, I think Penn state is interesting because our number our our raw number is 9.9 for Penn state. And I would be very surprised if Vegas lists their win total at 10 Uh, just, you know, they, they, I would be surprised. I would think the, I would think the number is going to be nine or nine and a half uh, if I were guessing, but you know, there are a couple of tricky games going at Virginia tech and non-conference is, is difficult. Uh, And then, you know, their crossover games are Iowa, Nebraska, uh, and Northwestern, uh, they should they should win all of those games, but you know n- nobody's necessarily a pushover uh, in any of those. But I-, I would be surprised if Penn State is actually listed at ten. But I think that that's realistic. I I, I really do kind of like Penn State this year, so I think that there's the potential for value there. If it's if it's nine or nine and a half, I think Penn State does have a pretty good chance of getting to ten wins. Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised that Maryland and Purdue are so low. So we have Maryland at three and a half, and we have Purdue at four. Which, for for comparison's sake, Maryland and Rutgers have the same win total projection. And Maryland, despite sort of uh, falling off an edge late last season, uh, they they're really pretty talented i mean we've we've got them as having a talent edge in each of their first six games and seven games total so if we weren't factoring in previous team performance if we weren't factoring in mike loxley's honestly pretty horrific head coach rating uh (laughs) this would be a team that you would think has the potential to go to a bowl game but because they've underperformed in a lot of ways in, in years past. Our numbers really just don't give them very much respect. And and so we have them only favored in, in three games against Townsend, Northern Illinois and Rutgers. Uh, and then in, in the other games, we don't give them more than a 34% chance of, of beating anybody, uh, either West Virginia non-conference or, or anybody else in big 10 play. That surprises me a little. I think that this, roster is talented enough to to knock off a team or two and challenge for a bowl game but just you know i i i thought i was going to be able to trust mike loxley early uh when maryland looked so good the first couple of weeks last year but they fell apart so much i i sort of trust the numbers here and think that you know three and a half if, if they're if vegas comes out with a win total of of uh five i i kind of i i would like the under and and i think that that's reasonable i think think that, that that might be what what comes out and, and I might uh, be willing to, to fire on the under there. And Purdue sounds like, you know, seems like a bounce back sort of team. If Rondell Moore is, is healthy, uh, he and David Bell, if they're both healthy and able to, to fire on all cylinders at the same time, that's one of the best one-two receiver combos in, in the country. They've got uh, an excellent, excellent pass rusher, George Karloftis. You know, they've got pieces that are are very strong, but the quarterback position is is so up in the air. Jack Plummer seems like he's going to be the starter. He was injured. He's not very highly rated according to our numbers. So I, you know, don't really give them a, a huge uh, 
a high expectation uh, at the quarterback position. And, and so we actually only have Purdue favored in uh, two games across their entire schedule. They play a bunch of toss-ups. Air Force, uh, they're favored by a, a field goal. Boston College, they're a one-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, and then Illinois, they're less than a point underdog. And Northwestern, they're less than a point underdog. They could win all those games. They could they could upset you know somebody along the way. But Purdue, just from a pure talent standpoint, sort of similar to, to what we said earlier about Cal, they kind of fall in that, that same category. They've got some, some high-end guys, but the depth just really isn't there from a pure talent standpoint. And, and so our numbers don't, don't love. And the non-conference is, is sort of ridiculous. I mean, Memphis Air Force and Boston College, uh, you know, that, that's two of the trickier G5 teams you could possibly play. And then Boston College is a team that, that uh, you should never take you know, for granted, and, and then right. nine games in the Big Ten, it's just a tough schedule. So, you know, we've, we have them projected to win 4.2 games, but only have them favored in two. And so if that win total for, for Purdue comes out at, you know, six, a lot of people might think Purdue's a bold team. But given that schedule and, and sort of the lack of depth, you know, I, I, I kind of like the under if it comes out six, maybe even five. Moving over to the ACC and Notre Dame, I mean, I think the nine and a half for Notre Dame is just like the standard Notre Dame mm-hmm. over under for every year, right? No argument there from either one of you guys, right? <laughs> nope. Uh, okay. The ACC <laughs> right. seems tough to argue as well because it's Clemson and everybody else, as it should be. Clemson at 11 and a half, uh, probably one of the highest win totals we'll have. Uh, that's, you know, undefeated. And then. Um, you know, you've got uh, Miami sprinkled in here, bringing in Derek King, North Carolina's Ridiculous. at seven and a half, Florida State's at seven and a half. So, Xavier, any issues with any of the other? Oh, uh, Virginia Tech's at eight. Uh, any other uh, ACC ones that you see that you kind of raise your eyebrow at? Just Miami. I think that, you know, I think Derek King was a nice get for them, but that doesn't paper over all the offensive woes that they had last year by getting a quarterback. Their offensive line is still much maligned, and we have to. We'll only find out how good they are once, you know, the games start. You know, the, you can tell me how good they've looked in practice. It really doesn't matter to me at this point. I mean, and the, and then defensively, they lose so many valuable leaders on that defense, especially uh, they lose Quarterman, they lose Pinckney, just same a few. They also lose DJ Dallas. I mean, with all of that leadership, you know, that's that, that doesn't bode well for a team that's kind of trying to start over a little bit. Um, and I just think eight and a half wins, is, it, it's once again, too much talent has, has kind of, worked its way into having eight and a half wins where I think they're much more comfortable at like a seven win total for me. So Miami is one that jumped out to me immediately and it wasn't the win total. I was a little relieved when the win, when the win total came in at eight and a half because our numbers have Miami favored in every regular season game. Oh, great. <laughs> and so that, that made me nervous. Cause then I thought, Oh, geez, <laughs> you know, is our win total going to be double digits or, or something like that? They do play, uh, they have a lot of games in that 52 to 70% range. So they're, they're uh, less than a two-point favorite against both Virginia Tech and Florida State. Those are the tougher uh, conference games in, on the regular season schedule. And they're less than a touchdown favorite at Virginia and against North Carolina. They're also less than a touchdown favorite 
uh, at Michigan State. And then they're in the single digits. They they host Pitt, who's going to be a tricky team, and then travel to Wake Forest. They're uh, an eight-point favorite against Pitt and a nine-point favorite against Wake Forest. But I, I, I was quite nervous. We were very low on Miami last year, and it, it ended up working out pretty well. But I, I thought we might be a little too high on Miami this year, but I've actually been uh, sort of uh, keeping my ear to the ground a little bit more on Miami, I think, than I, I had in, in years past. And uh, I was listening to uh, a uh, the Miami podcast that, that the guys at The Athletic, uh, Manny Navarro, and, and he's got a uh, uh, former Miami player who's on with him, and, and a couple of uh, and, an, and another uh, co-host as well, and they have been talking, uh, and I and I don't they don't strike me as guys that are too overconfident often, or, or you know just willing to sort of drink the Kool Aid that sort of thing. But the things that they saw in the, the limited glimpses at, at spring practice and, and Derek King and just sort of some of the stories uh, that, that have been coming out in, in the past couple of months as I've been you know listening to that show and, and reading some other things, there's a real confidence at around Miami that seems different than sort of the, the false confidence that they were putting out. Uh, this time last year, with like the new Miami and and uh, Manny Diaz, uh, you know, first time head coach was was sort of you know there was a lot of talk of bringing the the swagger back and, and all that sort of stuff, and it, it ended up sort of falling flat. But this year, it it seems like there's a little bit more quiet confidence, and uh, there's there's a legitimate belief. And, and not just a, a fanboy-type belief that this is a team that could win 10 games. And I, I believe that. I, I would be willing to go over Miami 8.5. I think that this is a team that, that should win 10 games. If they don't screw something up, they, they you know even if they were to drop both of those games against Florida State and Virginia Tech, they would still get to 10 regular season wins. They would have to... to lose as a fairly you know not a huge underdog but you know uh, if they were to lose both of those games and maybe North Carolina who a lot of people are, are high on North Carolina they still would get over eight and a half so if the number comes out and it's eight and a half I feel good about that I think Miami's a team that should win nine games could win 10 games and if everything clicks and De'Aaron King is is you know truly the guy that uh, he was two years ago then this is a Miami team that could sneak up and, and maybe, maybe uh, give Clemson a game in the ACC championship game. Oh, God. Do not, get the <laughs> Miami Do not get the Miami faithful an opportunity to strut their stuff and talk on Twitter, please. The last thing we need to – all I'm going to do is send them the Florida Atlanta game last year. But, gee, I mean, Florida International game. But uh, I, I don't see the same things you're seeing whatsoever about Miami. I don't like that they're at a nav at, at all. We've been saying for how many years now that they should have and should do this and they have the talent and they're so good, you know, on there's a lot of teams they, like that though. I mean, I've, Texas is one of them, you know? Uh, yeah. You too. Y'all are on the same boat. In my yeah. opinion. Uh, Michigan. This year. Yeah. But all three of the teams you just named 
have they have they actually held up their expectation in the last like five years whatsoever? No, no. no. You could throw <laughs> USC in there as well. I mean, there's plenty of those teams that you know uh, because they recruit well because they're glorified teams and all that stuff. They recruit well. They should be in there, and they just can't push over the hump. So I could see ten wins. It's not like he's. Uh, it's not like Nick is saying they're you know going to compete for the national title or anything. So I, it's not like people would be bragging about that, but I think I think the Miami people have uh, more than enough on that squad to say, yeah, we could win ten games. I think they're I think they're the clear favorite in their side of the conference. Uh, I, I and I a lot of people had them as a favorite. I think the media voted them as the favorite uh, in the, the media days last year, uh, and and our numbers didn't buy it. But of course, our numbers also didn't buy Virginia, and they ended up. Winning, so uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not hugely confident, but I I'm I'm not as nervous as I you know am about Utah or uh, was last year about Stanford that ended up being wrong. So uh, I don't know. Miami has a chance to to get back on track and have a really solid year. All right, so let's say Nick. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Xavier. Get in no, the last I, I, word. I was gonna say, uh, like it's Twitter. I, I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, all I'm gonna say, Nick, is you know y- y- your your track record of faithful teams has not been great. You, know, you had USF high last year. You're going back down to South Florida with Miami. It, 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 if they have a bad season, then I'm definitely calling on the Nick curse going into 2020. <laughs> all right, looking That's at fair. the Mountain West Conference now. Uh, we, we've got um, – there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, 50% of these teams are getting new coaches. So uh, that is a big thing that jumps off the page to me first. But looking over at the 2019 results, uh, Boise State finished at 12-2 uh, and two in the Mountain. Uh, Air Force was 11-2. and two. They had their bowl game against Washington State. Uh, Wyoming uh, bowl eligible at 8-5. and five. Utah State, obviously Jordan Love. Uh, not so great last year. Uh, they finished uh, seven and six overall, six and two in the conference. Uh, Colorado State, you know, that's a team with a new coach, finished off four and eight. New Mexico as well, two and ten. Uh, and then looking in the West, Hawaii ten and five, great season for them. San Diego State ten and three, great season for them. Fresno State is probably the biggest whiff of all teams that we had they went four and eight san jose state five and seven seven and six for nevada and four and eight for unlv as well so nick your first initial thoughts looking back at 2019 from the mountain west well so the the first thing that jumps out to me is nevada was a uh was a bowl team went went to a bowl game had a chance to win its its bowl game uh did not play particularly well but our numbers just never gave Nevada really any respect. I mean, they, they uh, had a huge comeback at the beginning of the year and beat Purdue, which was a big upset at the time. And then they were just sort of a, a complete roller coaster. One week they would look really, really good. And then the other, you know, they would just get absolutely hammered. I mean, they lost to Oregon, what, 77 to three or something. And, and so our numbers just never really quite bought in. They had Injuries at the quarterback position, which is always uh, going to be an issue. But you know, they're they're a team that has uh, some solid pieces, but just again, the depth really isn't there, and, and there just wasn't that sort of uh, standout guy that that can take over 
and, and just be a true playmaker, put a, a team on his back type of uh, type of guy. And and I, I'm not sure that that person exists in 2020 either. And and you know maybe there is. Hopefully they prove me wrong. But uh, the fact that Nevada was a bowl team, but our numbers had them uh, ranked below. San Jose State, which missed a bowl game and, and was ranked in the triple digits, and Fresno State, who, like you said, was easily the biggest disappointment. We had Fresno State as a favorite in 11 games, including every Mountain West game last year, and they just could not live up uh, to those expectations and, and uh, were maybe one of the biggest disappointments we had in any conference all year. Uh, they they really, really came up short. And now they're, again, one of those teams with a, a new head coach uh, after uh, some health issues forced uh, uh, early retirement there. So Fresno State and, and Nevada just sort of uh, jump out. One, I think Fresno State was maybe a slightly better than uh, their record would indicate, but they still were a major, major disappointment. And Nevada, despite putting up a record good enough to, to make it to a bowl game, uh, was not as good as, as their record might indicate. Uh, Xavier, what were your thoughts on the Mountain West from 2019? Yeah, I think Hawaii was my favorite team out that, that wasn't in a, a P5 conference to watch all of last year. Uh, they were one of the more fun teams in college football. You know, every game that they played, their offense was just as explosive, but their defense was just as bad. So, like, every game for them was the, had the possibility of equaling 100 points. That's how fun their games were. I mean, they started off the year by winning a game and having five turnovers. Uh, so that's got to be first and foremost. You know, they were also <laughs> such a pleasant surprise for me. Um, a big disappointment for me, and I know this is going to sound really weird, and I did this with another conference, but Boise State. Because they lost a game that they, I didn't think that they should have. You know, they lost to a BYU team who all year was really up and down, had some big wins, had some really head-scratching losses. And, you know, after they beat Florida State, I really thought they were just going to run the table and be the, the G5 team that represented the G5 in the uh, New Year's Six. However, you know, they lost to, to BYU, and I just felt like that wasn't the game for them to lose if there was on the schedule. Uh, so they were a little bit of a disappointment because I do expect them to, you know, dang near go – you know, undefeated every single year, um, barring them playing a strong out-of-conference game. And and they did. And they went down to Tallahassee and they beat Florida State. And I was just like, okay, cool. They're going to run the table. And they just didn't. And it was a little, dip, you know, a little disappointing in that regard. Um, as far as my other thoughts is concerned, Wyoming is a team that I am very high on going into the 2020 year. Maybe it's because I got to watch them smack Georgia State like a ragdoll in the bowl game. Um, and they just looked really good offensively. Uh, Levi Williams looked like uh, the, the a guy who can be the guy for them. I know he's a he was a freshman last year, but going into the sophomore year, I know he's supposed to share uh, roles with the other starting quarterback who got hurt. But he looked like he could be a guy. And and correct me if I'm wrong with this. I don't even want to pronounce his name. The the Balladay. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, he was a guy who I think you know Nick and I we talked about it last week about sleepers. Uh, for fantasy, and I don't know if he is considered a sleeper, but he's definitely a guy that I would draft uh, because he has the the ability to go for 1,500 yards in the upcoming year. He went for 1,200 last year. He's going into his junior season. I think he's going to be one heck of a guy. So yeah, I think it's Xavier. Xavier Validay. That's that's what I that's what I've been going with. Of course, now we hear that Albert O's last name was Aquavanon instead of Aquabunum. Uh, now that he's in the NFL. So who knows, really, to be honest with Fair you. Enough. But, 
Uh, Mountain West, uh, a, a conference that, you know, to me, it kind of lines up like a, a broke ass ACC. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's Boise State is going to be the highest ranked team here, and they're not returning a ton, although they are returning their quarterback four returners on offense and only five on defense. And after that, it gets dicey. I mean, Air Force uh, is up there. Donald Hammond with a huge year last year, and he's coming back, and they've got four returners on offense and only four on defense as well. Colorado State has returners, but including the quarterback, but only seven on offense, seven on defense, and a new head coach, and they were terrible last year. Uh, Wyoming might be getting Sean Chambers back uh, from his yeah. injury. We'll see. That's going to be, obviously, Xavier just talked about that, but that's going to be a big factor uh, for them. But we've got them down in the 90s, uh, six returners on offense, five on defense. Utah State, um, you know, seven returners on offense is not bad, but losing the biggest part of, of their offense in Jordan Love to the NFL, uh, you know, five returners on defense as well, and then New Mexico uh, getting a new coach again here. Five returns on offense, four on defense. And looking in the West, Fresno State, who are the numbers still like, but we have them one in the West, but 72 overall. Five on defense, five on offense. San Diego State returning uh, a lot. Six on offense, seven on defense, but no quarterback for them, just like no quarterback for Fresno State. Hawaii loses their coach. And their quarterback, Cole McDonald, is gone. Uh, but but I think Nick's going to like that. Uh, six returners on <laughs> offense and four on defense. UNLV getting themselves a new coach as well. Seven uh, returns on offense and five on defense, including a QB. Nevada gets a QB back. I don't even remember which one off the top of my head. Uh, because, Strong. Oh, is it, Carson, uh, Strong. Carson Strong. Okay, yeah, I was going to say because they played – they played musical chairs at QB last year. Nine returns on offense, which is good. That's a good part of Nevada, but four on defense only. And then San Jose State down here, uh, we've got ranked at 111, the second lowest behind uh, or just ahead of New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico rather. Uh, five returns on offense, seven on defense, and no QB. So, Nick, break down the 2020 early look at the Mountain West for us. Well, I, th I think you're right about Boise State and then just sort of everybody else, because uh, the first thing that, that really jumped out to me when I was compiling sort of our, our list here, our, our internal document, was the class recruiting rankings. Boise State is 65th. They're, they're on the top end of Power 5 teams. And UNLV has really, really done some good things under Marcus Arroyo in his first recruiting class, really not even a, a full recruiting class because he's a, a first-timer. And they came in 77th. Everybody else in the league is in the triple digits. And the Mountain West is, you know, uh, perennially the, the conference that uh, thinks, you know, that, that they really maybe should be that sixth conference. Uh, there's been sort of some jockeying in years past between them and the AAC. Uh, a lot of the uh, analytics outfits out there, you know, in some years, the Mountain West plays well enough as, as a unit to pass the AAC as sort of that, that top uh, G5 team. But if they're going to continue to recruit at these levels, it, it you know, it makes me uh, hesitant to think that that's something that they can legitimately hope to do in the long run. And, and that's sort of a larger conversation because, of course, a lot of these teams are out west and, you know, Boise State, there's not a ton of uh, great talent in the state of Idaho and surrounding states. Air Force as a, a military academy has uh, strict 
you know, academic standards and, and has sort of a different way of going about. So I, I understand that there's sort of some outlying uh, issues that, that might uh, be folded into that. But, you know, a lot of these teams are, are in California and recruiting California. San Jose State should probably recruit a little bit better than 117th. San Diego State should not be in the triple digits, in my opinion. Fresno State at 122, you know, th- those sort of things uh, probably should not happen. Uh, so you would hope that you know, those teams are, are going to pull in classes in the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, not not the triple digits. So that gives me uh, a little bit of pause at first because it seems like the gap has the potential to grow between Boise State and everybody else. Uh, Air Force, I, I failed to mention it, but we were talking about last year, but they were our uh, biggest surprise. I mean, our, our numbers always are a little bit tricky when it comes to, to projecting military academies. We had Air Force uh, on the low end. I mean, had them expected to, to finish last in uh, the mountain, and, and they came out and put together a double-digit winning season. I'm not so sure they're going to be able to repeat that, but you know, some of the pieces that they've got coming back, especially on the offensive side of the ball – They've got some good building blocks. So if they're able to, uh, you know, rebuild along the line of scrimmage, which is always sort of the issue, and then they lost a lot of guys in the secondary, that's an area that's really highly correlated to year-over-year performance is how much production you've got coming back in the secondary. Uh, that That's, you know, going to be an issue. If they're able to replace uh, those guys, that experience, then, then they certainly do have a chance to maybe be the second-best team in the mountain again. Colorado State, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we did our first-year head coach draft. They're the second-most talented team in the conference. So if Steve Adazio, you know, he, he didn't do uh, huge things at Boston college, but I think we could all uh, say that he got in a lot of cases, got maybe more out of the talent that was there than a lot of people. And, you know, certainly he was frustrating and, and there were times when it seemed like they were sort of archaic on offense and, and couldn't get over the hump, couldn't get more than seven wins in a season. But, you know, I think looking back, if you look at the overall team strength of those Boston College teams, a lot of those teams didn't have the talent that you would expect to to make a bowl game. And, and he was able to, to put you know, the right pieces and, and put the right uh, emphasis on certain things. You know, you get an A.J. Dillon, you ride him, and, and he did, and, and it paid off, you know, fairly well over the last three years. Can he do that sort of thing at Colorado State where, you know, related to the, the rest of the conference, he's got more talent to work with. They've got talent at receiver. They've got experience at quarterback. You know, they've got some uh, good uh, transfers coming in that, that are going to have an opportunity to make an impact uh, on defense. they got a defensive lineman from Miami who was uh, a part-time starter. And, and so that defensive line is going to be one of the uh, best, most talented in all of the, the group of five. So uh, there are a lot of things to like about Colorado. Colorado State. About quite as high on Wyoming as Xavier. I think uh, there are some questions there, but they also have some very good pieces. Valaday is probably going to be one of the best running backs in the league, and, and certainly uh, Craig Bull has done a great job of, of sort of similar to what I said with Adazio at Boston College. He's, he's been able to pull up a team that, from a pure talent standpoint, uh, shouldn't really compete with the top in the league, and, and he's made Wyoming very, very dangerous from year to year. So uh, they certainly have an opportunity to, to uh, 
uh, challenge, you know, be uh, Boise State is probably the clear favorite, but I think Air Force, Colorado State, and Wyoming all have a, uh, the potential to compete for that number two spot in the division. Utah State, I, I, I don't have a lot of respect for Gary Anderson as a head coach. I'm sure he's a great guy, but just the, the I don't know, his, his past track record, team performance, I don't, I, I just don't love what I've seen from him in the past. He was able to, to, you know, ride Jordan Love enough to get Utah State to a bowl game, but, you know, they, they are missing a lot of playmakers. They also lost their best defensive player, David Woodward, uh, left early for the NFL draft after he was injured and, and missed a lot of the second half of the season. I, I just, I don't think Utah State has it to, to make it back to a bowl game. They could challenge, but, but, you know, probably not. New Mexico, Danny Gonzalez and, and uh, Rocky Long as defensive coordinator, basically starting from scratch. I mean, they've got a lot of uh, experienced guys because the previous regime went heavy, heavy on the JUCO talent in 2019. So a lot of seniors, but they're not particularly highly rated and, and don't really have huge expectations. On the other side, it's it's wide open. I mean, Fresno State's our highest rated team. But they were our highest-rated team last year, and, and they've got to replace the starting quarterback. They do get a transfer from Washington, Jake Hayner, who I expect might actually be an upgrade. But new head coach and, and a lot of changeover uh, just from you know uh, the receiving core. They lost all their uh, primary starters. There, there's you know uh, some some they lost their top uh, linebacker. A lot of guys in the secondary. So I, I just don't know if I can truly. Uh, rely on this team, especially coming off of four wins, to to bounce back and be uh, division champion. But you know, all the other challengers have new head coaches too: San Diego State, Hawaii. It, it's it's really kind of a mess. And and Fresno State and San Diego State are similar uh, from a talent standpoint. Hawaii, I didn't love the the uh, Todd Graham hire. Losing Cole McDonald obviously was very very productive. I do really like Shevin Cordero. Uh, who's going to probably step in and, and be the starter? But I, I just I don't know. Something didn't didn't. It felt a little funny seeing Todd Graham uh, get hired, and, and I'm not sure it's the the best. <laughs> Have long-term you ever seen someone fit. get a job more often than Todd Graham? I mean, <laughs> the, the guy has a new job every other year. So I will say they're doing some interesting things in recruiting. They are hitting Texas hard, and, and Todd Graham's from Texas. A lot of the guys that are on his staff have ties from uh, Graham's days at Tulsa and are, are from Texas have, have ties in Texas. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. I think Nick Rolovich did a, a excellent, excellent job of doing the best he could to keep talent. You know, the, the top guys in Hawaii, Hawaii has really, I mean, Tuatanga Vailoa, Marcus Mariota, you know, those guys, you're not going to get to stay home, but there are some talented guys there and he was able to get uh, especially guys on the offensive and defensive line, uh, he did a, an excellent job of recruiting the state and keeping some of that second tier home. And it, I'm intrigued that Graham is going to Texas and, and you know, doing, uh, making that an emphasis to get players from a, a really, really uh, deep and talented state. But I'm afraid he's going to maybe uh, do that in spot, you know, uh, compromise his ability to actually recruit Hawaii. So I I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I'm not hugely optimistic. Uh, they do have one of the best offensive lines in, uh, in the G5. They rank 25th in our offensive line 
uh, strength ratings coming into this year. Very experienced unit, a lot of talent there as well. So they've got some building blocks. UNLV, I think, is eventually, you know, if Arroyo can continue to recruit at the top of the conference, I think they're going to be a team for the future in this division uh, because I don't have a whole lot of faith in San Diego State and and Brady Hoke, and I'm not so sure about Graham. I don't know if either of those programs is going to be able to, to get it done. If Arroyo can just increase, you know, catch up to Fresno State in terms of talent and then pass Fresno State, uh, I think they're going to be very, very dangerous in, in that division for a while. A lot of people have thought that's a sleeping giant program at the G5 level. So I, I'm optimistic on UNLV in the long run, but uh, this year it's it's going to be difficult. Nevada, maybe. I mean, they you know last year they were able to get to a bowl despite – uh, some really lackluster team performance ratings. And uh, San, San Jose State made a huge step forward. They do have a, a have to replace a quarterback, but they did get Nick Starkle, former Texas A&M and Arkansas uh, quarterback who, who has, has talent, has experience, but just hasn't quite been able to put it together at the highest level. And they also got uh, Bailey Gaither, who, who was expected to run out of eligibility last year as a senior, was granted uh, another year. So combining him and Trey Walker in the receiving core, Nick Starkle there, they're, they're going to be a dangerous team. Uh, but, you know, the division as a whole is completely wide open. Fresno State's our favorite, but I don't know if I trust it. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if anybody wins the West. But on the other side, it's Boise State. Boise State should win the conference going away. Uh, and that gap, talent gap, unless some of the, the bottom-level teams can can put up recruiting ratings in the 70s, that gap is only going to grow. Xavier, I mean, it really, really seems like Boise State and everybody else, even Nick, you know, not being not surprised by any team winning the West. Usually there's someone that's either really good or terrible in, in a division, right. and uh, it seems kind of mixed up here. So what are your thoughts on the Mountain West for 2020? Yeah, so, like, I think the Mountain West is a team. First and foremost, I went through all of the conferences, every single one of them, and the gap between the top team in its conference in Boise State and the bottom team, as far as team strength rating, is the lowest of any conference that we've gone over so far. Uh, The gap is only 10 points from Boise State and San Jose State. Just to kind of give an idea of how close this conference is after you get away from Boise State, for instance. Um, you know, I think sorry, that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that that means that on a neutral field, right, the best team would be favored over the worst team by 20 points. So basically just double double the, the difference and that's our point spreads. So it's just for anybody out there that, that might be joining us. So that that's significant, I think. It, you know, less than three touchdowns between Boise State and the worst team in the division. Right. And also on top of that, when you look at the returning production ranking, this is something that I looked at for my uh, for the parity in this conference. There's only two teams in this conference that have better than a, a 50 when it comes to returning production ranking in all of college football. After that, everybody else is sub 60. Uh, that make what that means is that this conference, in my opinion, is going to be up for grabs. Yes, Boise State, from a talent standpoint, should do what they're supposed to do in this conference, and I fully expect them to do so. But like last year with Air Force. We had them winning three games. They ended up winning 11. That means that this conference can literally – any. this is a crapshoot. You know, I think what you uh, – Scott and Nick, you guys both kind of hit it on the head with, you know, this being a poor man's ACC. You know, 
after Boise State, we kind of expect them to win 11, uh, if not 12 games, and pretty much go undefeated in the conference. After that, who is in second place is up to who decides to win ballgames. Uh, for instance, when I looked at a team like uh, Wyoming, uh, who I have uh, playing better than what they did last year, they lost th- five games. Their five games that they lost last year were by, by a combined points of 29. Uh, they lost five games by a combined 29 points. That means for the, me is that if the ball had a bounced a different direction one time, they would have won four out of the five games that they ended up losing last year. That tells me that this conference as a, as a whole is just really competitive and it's really anybody's chance to win. They just have to grab it. Um, you know, I think Hawaii is going to be the team that regresses the most. The last time that they lost a, confer- uh, a quarterback that had this much production was Colt Brennan. The following year, they went seven and seven, uh, just to give an indicator of how much they rely or have relied on in the past a quarterback of this magnitude I think I don't know if Cole McDonald was the same he's not the same as Colt Brennan but as far as his production and his productivity and how much he carried that offense and in most cases there was a bad defensive play and they had to win by shootout it's going to be tough for me in my in my opinion for them to continue to do that and get anywhere close to double digit wins um in next season I mean like I said earlier I think Wyoming is going to be a team that I'm looking at to take that next step I really like what they have offensively. And like I noted, defensively, they played really well last year. And if the ball had bounced a little uh, the other way a couple of times, they had a chance to win those games as well. Uh, but this conference is going to be a conference that is a crapshoot after Boise State. And whoever decides to be the second best team in this conference is up to whoever decides to win games. Um, and whoever decides uh, that they're not going to turn the ball over in key moments and make the smart, heady plays. Um, you know, Nick, you hit it on the head. UNLV might be a team that could be next year's Air Force, and I wouldn't be surprised in the size. All right. Is there anything we missed on the Mountain West, Nick, or are we good? Uh, you know what? I think, I think that's it. I mean, we, we sort of tried to pack it in, running, running low on time. Uh, last thing on what Xavier said, UNLV, I want to see Armani Rogers. I think he's back this year. Uh, yeah, that's a big for his senior year. He he was hurt last year, and and then uh, when he was healthy, I, I believe he got healthy enough to play late in the year. But they stuck with Kenyon Oblad, who started eight games for him. Armani Rogers flashes just some incredible, incredible talent, and and as a runner, uh, he he reminded me a lot of. And it's maybe too easy a comparison, but, you know, what we saw Cam Newton in his year at Auburn, I mean, he's just he's built the same way. He's got great speed, can break tackles and, and is just a punishing runner, but he just hadn't been able to stay healthy and, and he just hasn't really been able to uh, be productive as a passer. If he's healthy, if he's back and, and can reclaim that starting job. Uh, UNLV certainly has a chance. I mean, he's he's rated 12 points higher, according to our numbers, than Oblot. So that would be a big boost to their overall rating. Might actually jump uh, Hawaii if, if Rodgers can come in and, and be, uh, you know, what we expect him to be. They might be a team that could challenge, uh, probably should get to a bowl game if he's playing at his, at his best potential. Uh, so they're they're an intriguing team and certainly one to watch in future years if if uh, Arroyo can keep the recruiting trail uh, you know red hot which it has been as far as the Mountain West is concerned. And I remember Armani Rogers going into last year, just uh, looking at CFF stuff. He was um, he was the second highest fantasy points per game uh, behind Ellinger. I think coming back. So uh, yeah, you, know, you know a lot of talent, but 
you know, availability is the best ability. But that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can find us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, we will be back next week. As long as that comment doesn't hit us, uh, we'll, we'll be back next week. Who are we doing? What, what conference next week, Nick? Conference USA. Conference USA. So uh, we'll be back next week to preview Conference USA and go over any news and notes that happened during the week. And take it easy, everybody. Stay safe. Wash your hands. We will see you then. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.